The Question, a podcast that exists at the intersection of pop culture and academia. We sit down and talk about our favorite stuff through the lenses of what we do and who we are. From Pannoni Honors College at Drexel University, Dr. Melinda Lewis here. I'm your host. On October 20th, we participated in Pannoni Honors College's Deep Dive, an informational session that helps articulate what we as a college are about intellectually and philosophically, and the support we offer students who are coming to Drexel to begin their next steps toward accomplishing their short and long-term goals. So, of course, what better way to honor that than to talk about the zombie apocalypse? We joined our very good friend, Dr. Kevin Egan, in a panel discussion about academic disciplines, zombies, and survival. All right, welcome everybody to the zombie panel debate podcast recording. We just crammed a lot of our programming into one session here. Thanks for joining everyone. We're going we're gonna to ask that you stay on mute during this because we are recording this for a podcast. So for those of you who just learned, uh, the Pannoni Honors College does indeed have its own podcast called Pop the Question. We are doing a live sort of recording for it. Uh, we will offer an opportunity later for you all to ask some questions if you want to put those in the chat bar. Um, but we're really excited to have a group of faculty joining us to be part of this discussion. And we thought it would be fun to do a debate about which discipline should be represented on your zombie apocalypse survival team. So these individuals are gonna make the case for why they as a representative of their discipline would be somebody you would want on your survival team. Um, Just a quick word for why we chose this as a topic. Um, Another program that we run in the Honors College is an interdisciplinary course series called the Symposium. So every year we do a different theme, a really broad theme, and then we do classes within that that are interdisciplinary. They're co-taught from instructors across the university. They do deep dives into different topics around that um, theme. And this year we're doing it on disaster. So we thought disaster is a heavy topic. Uh, We are all grappling with COVID right now, but we thought that, that talking about zombies might be a fun way to sort of talk about some of these issues. And I think Horror movies generally, but zombie movies specifically, are a really good way that we deal with it in pop culture, deal with anxieties around things like disaster or trauma. If you go back to movies from like the 1950s, I don't know if people are fans of old B science fiction movies, if you've seen any of these films where you have these giant things that have been irradiated. By direction of the President of the United States, stay in your homes, I repeat, stay in your homes. Your personal safety, the safety of the entire city, depends upon your full cooperation with the military authorities. Them is a movie about ants that become irradiated by by nuclear power and they terrorize a city. Um, Or even think about movies like Godzilla are sort of like an allegory about the dangers of, of atomic weapons. So Godzilla is still alive. We'll have to teach it another lesson. So we use movies to think about like, what is it of our age that causes anxiety? Certainly in the 50s, it was a lot about atomic energy, atomic weapons, but the introduction of the, of the zombie as a trope uh, had a lot to do early on with things like uh, racism. Uh, that was a big issue that was dealt with sort of uh, subtly and sort of uh, in George Romero's early zombie films. I realized that I was alone with 50 or 60 of those things just standing there staring at them. You flash forward a few decades 
and some of his later work, and he's talking about things like consumer culture and disposable culture and capitalism and something like Dawn of the Dead, which takes place in a, um, in a shopping mall. What are they doing? Why did they come here? Some kind of instinct, memory, what they used to do. This was an important place in their lives. Uh, and then you even flash forward even further into, say, the 90s and the 2000s, and you start to get these really fast zombies, right? We have an image of the old zombies are sort of the lumbering, kind of slow-moving, ambling around zombies. And now you have the fast zombies. And a lot of times those zombies come around because of something like a biological agent that's gone awry or a pathogen that's gotten loose. And so we've gotten worried about things like bioterrorism or epidemics like we're contending with right now. So um, we thought, thought, thought the zombie theme would be an interesting way to talk about how we, how we grapple with, with ideas of disaster. So how we're going to do this is we're going to give each of our panelists, contestants, whatever you want to call them, uh, a shot to, to make their initial case for why they should be part of your zombie survival team. Um, we'll have a couple of follow-up questions for them. Uh, I've got my colleague, uh, Dr. Melinda Lewis, who is the host of the podcast, who also I'm sure pepper some some questions and commentary throughout as well. There will be pepper. Pepper, lots of pepper. Pepper on those brains. Mm-hmm. And then we'll open it up for you all to offer some uh, questions in the in the chat function, and we'll read those out as well for them to answer. So let me introduce our group, and then I will uh, turn it over to them. So uh, joining us today is we have Dr. Stephen Weber, who is the department chair of electrical and computer engineering in the College of Engineering. We have uh, Josh Peskin, who is an adjunct instructor for the honors program, is actually currently teaching a course for us right now, I believe. We also have Raja Shar, who is the program director for product design in Westfall. And last but not least, we have Dimitri Papadopoulos, who is an assistant teaching professor for the Department of Math in the College of Arts and Sciences. So we've got a really nice diversity of uh, disciplines and fields represented here. Um, do we have a taker for who would like to go first in making their initial case? Dimitri, I saw your hand. Go for it. I'll go first. Sure. The way I want to make my case for math and for myself, I guess, as a representative for the discipline is to talk about it both for its own sake and also in the way that it supports other disciplines. So as mathematicians, you know, we're trained to look in a dispassionate way at problems and use the data that we have available to us to draw conclusions based on reason. And with a disaster of the sort of like epic proportion of a zombie apocalypse, there's no room for emotion in our analysis when the stakes are that high. That doesn't mean we lack empathy for the plight of the individual person, right, going through it in this disaster, but our goal has to be to minimize the number of new infections or to maximize our survival rate. So that to me sounds exactly like the kind of optimization problems that mathematicians, and hopefully you as students of math really dig. We want to give us a constraint and give us some quantity that you want to maximize or minimize. And that's what we're about, right? We want to find the most efficient solution. So when it comes to zombie infections, a mathematician has actually already done some of this work for us. His name is Robert J. Smith, and he developed exactly what we want, which is a model for how to think about a zombie infection and the way that it would spread. So Math for its own sake has its use in a zombie apocalypse, right? We can figure out the most efficient solution, how to maximize our survival rate, et cetera. But math also plays a hugely important role, as I'm sure you all know, in every other discipline. So with all due respect to my colleagues here today, math is the field that supports every other field. 
Um, the solutions we're going to need to survive this apocalypse are going to require all kinds of knowledge and work, right? Physics, engineering, biochemistry, politics, probably computer science, if we still have power, maybe. Also ethics, philosophy, right? All of these disciplines really can't do their jobs properly without a strong mathematical foundation, right? Physics is applied math, chemistry is applied physics, bio is applied chemistry, engineering relies on all of the above. So maybe a mathematician isn't the best suited person as an individual to solve a chemistry problem, but a mathematician can serve all of these other disciplines, whereas the chemist can't exactly do the same thing, right? I think we don't have any chemists here, so I'm not offending any of my, my colleagues today. So, you know, the hard sciences obviously need math, but even the social sciences need math, right? You need statistics to do any sort of social science work. Ethics requires logic, which is arguably just another form of math. The arts can be understood through math, right? Pythagoras gave us the music scale that we use today, in addition to his famous Pythagorean theorem. So to sum up, like when I was a little kid, my grandfather used to tell me all the time, if you can learn math, you can learn anything. And I wholeheartedly stand by that today. Um, I attribute any knowledge that I have in the sciences, philosophy, art, et cetera, to my early education in math. And if you pick me to be on your team, that's exactly what I'm going to provide. All right. Thank you for making a strong initial case. Also, I, is, I, I'm guessing that is a different Robert Smith than the uh, lead singer of The Cure. <laughs> uh, indeed. His name is Robert J. Smith, and he spells it with a question mark at the end. Oh. Like Robert J. Smith? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like in journal publications, Robert J. Smith. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So not, not the same guy. On a, on a lifelong quest for for knowledge and inquiry. Yeah. Or maybe he gets that question a lot. <laughs> Are you that Robert J. Smith? And maybe right. he's keeping us on, a, on our toes with a question mark. Like I could also be, or maybe not. If you like that article, maybe. If you don't, talk to the other guy. Exactly. It's a good way to deflect. It's so smart. It's logical. I'm not sure who I've got in mind, but I know. All right, Dimitri has made a strong case for math being the, the foundation to really all our other pursuits and endeavors. So who wants to, who wants to go next? Oh, I, I, Josh made a move, but Steve raised his hand. I'll go, I'll go. So I'm a uh, philosopher of religion by training. So I'm sure everybody's thinking, how useful could this guy be? He's going to have to build his castle on the trash dump for sure. So that may be true, and Roger crushed me last time, but I'm going to take a real swing at this, okay? So go with me here. We're walking. We've been walking for months. We're hungry. We're tired. We're injured. We've killed a whole bunch of zombies. And then, bam, we run into this guy. We have to kill him, too. We got his guts all over us. We're still walking. We kind of come up on some cannibals. We barely get the best of them. Now we're covered in blood. We're probably shell-shocked. We don't know how to talk to each other. What in that particular moment is keeping us human? That's the question I'm gonna start with. Because what I'm gonna argue is, whatever that piece is that's stretched to its breaking point, right? Like really get into that visual. 
we are a mess, right? Psychologically, we have no ability to cope with that situation. We can't even be with each other and talk to each other to cope with that situation. What, what's keeping us human in that particular moment? There's something that is like just about to give. We could just as easily break or we could keep going. Probably most of us would break. Here's my question. It is that the question of whether we're strong enough or smart enough to keep going at some point gives way to the question of why do we keep going at all? What is the point of perpetuating human survival if we have gotten to this state? I would say that literature offers us a reason to keep going and religion offers us a reason to keep going and that the humanities in general could probably be described as an exploration of why we keep going in that moment, that they bring a, they bring a certain kind of hope or at least they execute a search for meaning that we all get to participate in and anything short of living into that project is a fail on the part of humanity. So I'm not saying I can provide meaning of life for everybody, but what I would do is I would keep, our, keep, keep my eye and all of our eye on the ball and on, on the long game of how do we reboot humanity in a real meaningful way that recreates literature, philosophy, and religion again, and ultimately that question of why do we keep going at all? Okay, I'll drop the mic there. <laughs> I'm imagining you as some sort of like Clorox wipe for the human soul. Like we've just are just in, in entrails and zombie guts. And we just got to like figure out how do we manage after this, this nightmare. And Josh comes along and, and gives us the reason. Yes. With, with, with Lord bells <laughs> and there'll be white light and then, and then we'll have regained humanity. So you're welcome. All right, Steve, you're next up to the bat. I, I just, uh, I have the, the greatest of respect for all of my colleagues, but this, this is a panel and I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna pull any punches here. I'm reminded of the quote from the Bible, to everything there is a season. And with all due respect to Dimitri, you know, there is a season for considering your mathematical formulas. And to my colleague, Josh, uh, there is a season for considering the season of life and what it does all for and why to keep going. But let's look behind me here. And what do we see? We are about to experience annihilation. And I think in this situation, we want to have some real practical skills on hand. So if you'll allow me, I did prepare a, a short PowerPoint. I promise you it is no longer than two minutes. And uh, I just want to make my case in pictures here. So Drexel happens to offer world-class engineering education in our College of Engineering. And I'm just going to make a full stop there. And please, if you're considering engineering, all you have to do is go to directly to you slash engineering. But I think I always, having been an engineer now for a long time, I realize there are a lot of stereotypes about engineers. And so if you Google engineer and do the image search, somehow Google is convinced that every single engineer wears hard hats. And I can tell you without any shadow of a doubt, I have never in my life needed to wear a hard hat. It would mess up my beautiful hair. 
The third, then, is what is engineering? And so you can ask Google that as well, and up comes a dictionary. And I actually really like the quote. It says that, it, that engineering is the action of working artfully to bring something about. I think that it says something fundamental to me about engineering, which is that engineering is creative. As is, of course, uh, again, referring to Dimitri's uh, case, it, it is, uh, as is mathematics. And there's a famous quote by the mathematician G.H. Hardy about uh, a mathematician being like a painter in terms of being a maker of patterns. All that's fine, except we're trying to stop the zombie apocalypse here. All right? How does engineering actually help you? Well, let's first understand there's not just one type of engineering. There are many types, and many of those types are represented in Drexel's College of Engineering. I happen to be over here in this department, electrical and computer engineering, but there's colleagues in civil and chemical, uh, construction, mechanical engineering, material science, etc. Without belaboring the point, I just want to make the observation that these different disciplines can serve very complementary roles in stopping the zombie apocalypse. You want to sleep restfully at night when the zombie horde is out there? You're going to need zombie detection, classification, and notification technology. That's only going to happen if you understand how the Internet of Things works, wireless communications, how to do image processing to detect on the, the video screen that you have a zombie coming, etc. You want to live in a safe environment that is free from zombie attack? You need some civil engineers, some architectural engineers to help you get your zombie-proof cabin and house. And that's going to require that engineer to know about architectural engineering, etc. You want to get around and be free from the zombies attacking your vehicle? You're going to need a mechanical engineer to use knowledge of thermodynamics and materials to design a, a rugged vehicle. And of course, if you do get infected, you're going to want that chemical and biological engineer to help uh, you know, protect you from, from any untoward effect. And finally, uh, believe it or not, Drexel is one of the few institutions around the world to have a peace engineering degree. And peace engineering is about the removal or reduction of conflict through the application of engineering principles. This is a real degree, and I think it's, it's a fantastic idea, and it's certainly going to be helpful in the zombie apocalypse, because I think not enough attention is paid to addressing the underlying political tensions between the zombies and the non-zombies. So I think some peace engineers could really help with that. So that's the end of, of my slideshow. But um, I think my main point is that in engineering, you learn practical skills that are really going to help you stop the zombies. So thank you. And maybe it is time to start distributing those hard hats upon graduation, <laughs> just as extra protection and the possibility that this becomes a reality and we need to protect our, our delicious brains. As you began with, there is a season, <laughs> zombie season is the season for hard hats. Uh, Google has been telling us this for years and warning us for decades. And who's to start the zombie apocalypse? Was it Google? Who knows? but more food for thought, more brain for thought. All right, Raja, bring us on home. All right, so, you know, I heard the whole math discussion and I was like, eh, yeah, math's foundation for a lot of things, but who has time to stop and do calculations when you're on the run for zombies? So it wasn't quite convinced there. Josh, I'm still trying to get on board with your whole philosophers is sort of like maintaining humanity and allowing us to reflect on why we are and should we keep going. And I do agree that that's super important to have in the party. 
Um, and while designers like myself, being an industrial designers, work with engineers every day, um, we definitely have a different take on how we approach problem solving. So as the representative for product design here at Drexel University, I would like to point out a few things about what we do really well and then talk a little bit about how we could be a benefit on your team as you were trying to survive the zombie apocalypse. First of all, even though we work with engineers every day, we are definitely the great empathizers of the world and we are able to very carefully articulate where the real problems lie. The same way the peace engineers approach understanding conflict, we can understand each and every individual user, including the zombies themselves. So if you ever wanna figure out what motivates a zombie and why a zombie might be going after your brains to begin with, allow a designer to go in and to try to figure things out. The other thing is we're the makers of the world. So what Steve showed you in pictures, I can show you in things. These are the manufactured products of design, such as your handy dandy crossbow or your ax, which you can use for protection or for chopping down wood to build your shelter on the fly. And because we make things all day, we're always prepared with proper protective equipment and personal protective equipment like eye goggles and also first aid kits. So we would be able to help bandage up your friends if they were getting attacked by zombies. But wait, that's not all. Design is not limited to one discipline. We actually work across the spectra, weapons, repair stuff, first aid, but also food, because why not? So let's talk a little bit about what we would come up with. So there's two things that I would think about that we would need if we're on the run from zombies. One is sustenance for ourselves, but also sustenance for the zombies because product designers are very creative thinkers. So what I would do is get the zombies off of our trail. I have pitched this before and I will pitch it again. We need alternative foods for zombies. So I would propose zombie alternative meats or brain alternative meats for the zombies so that they could survive and you could survive. But grocery stores are shut down, so what are you gonna do? Well, that's okay, because I've also invented a reconstitutable uh, donut pouch where you can pour in your water and then pull out a nice donut so you can eat while you're on the go. So designers are always prepared. We're always thinking about things from food, water, shelter standpoint. We also will make sure our new digs and new apparel are probably fitting, will last a long time while we're on the run contemplating humanity. You can also come up with tools and instruments for you to do your mathematic calculations as you're trying to think about probabilities of survival. And we can work to humanize the designs that in, and work together with engineers to come up with things. So tools, zombie repellent, food, shelter, donuts, empathy. I think that product designers really say it all. And we say it all with things, not just with pictures. So I want to, I want to, I want to paint a little bit of an image here because I know this is being recorded for a podcast, and I think it it, it doesn't do justice. The fact that that for a minute there, I felt like Raja was going like Hermione Granger into her like magic bag. You're amazing, you are. Always a total surprise. Ah, that'll be the books. All of these objects were coming from off screen. 
is that a is that a nerf crossbow there is a, a legit axe uh <laughs> just yeah, all of these things nerf just crossbow it is literally a zombie killing nerf crossbow that i just happen to have because i'm a designer and i have everything because designers are also hoarders of, of useful things. Uh, I also appreciate you bringing, because uh, I know we, we had run a, a similar session uh, of this uh, in Welcome Week, and uh, I appreciate you bringing up Brain Alternative Meats, because I had that written in my notebook, and for a long time I couldn't figure out why that was there or what that came from. And so I'm glad that you're able to resupply the context for why that was in my notebook. So thank you for that. No problem. I'm going to trademark it soon. It's your mom. I have a question about that podcast you do. Are you on the Instagram or the Twitter or the Facebook? You know, like if I have an idea for a podcast, how do I get in touch with you? Love you. Bye. Sup, mom? Uh, yeah. So you can find us on all those things, actually. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Just go to PopQuestPod on any one of those and follow. If you want to send us ideas, you can either go over to our website and leave us a message at PopQ Podcast, or you can get us directly at PopQ at Drexel.edu. You can actually find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. Um, I can help set it up when I get home, but then you have to promise me to rate and review. All right. Love you. Bye. I think we have some late word of just arriving, and I'll interrupt to bring this to you. A widespread investigation of reports from funeral homes, morgues, and hospitals has concluded that the unburied dead are coming back to life and seeking human victims. It's hard for us here to believe what we're reporting to you, but it does seem to be a fact. <laughs> um, all right, so now we're gonna we're gonna see if there are any wild cards from our our panelists. If there's any kind of hidden talents or sort of the, the thing that you think is gonna push you over the top that maybe isn't disciplinary specific, but that you would want to share as just making that, that final case, I will say just to buy you some time that if I were part of this, I would pitch the fact that I have actively thought of my zombie survival plan. Those who are my close friends know this plan. I will share it all with you here, um, but please do not steal this from me. Uh, I live, for those of you who are familiar with Philadelphia, very close to the Eastern State Penitentiary, which is a old, old, basically fortress looking uh, penitentiary, which is now a museum space. Uh, I would use that as my hub. But before I get into there, there are two places I would need to go. One, I would go to the Museum of Art and I would steal a suit of armor. Now I know this is going into a podcast. So again, this is all theoretical for those who are members of the Philadelphia Museum of Art, uh, a suit of armor so I can get around and not be attacked by zombies. And then I would immediately go to the hardware store to get as many packets of seeds as possible so that I could plant my garden within the penitentiary. You, you have a lot of time in this apocalypse. I've, I also, I'm a runner, so I can run very fast. <laughs> and I mean, I'm just gonna, because my background's in political science, I'm gonna play the politician here. I would invite you all to be part of my team and then I would divvy out those responsibilities. Just being diplomatic. That's how I do. Um, anybody have a wild card they want to play? Any kind of uh, things that they've thought about, special talents? I have a couple wild cards. One or two. Do it. Well, one is I strength train. So I could punch a zombie off of you pretty handily. Um, or also like lift a car off of you if you happen to be trapped. So there's those two things. The other thing is I am also a pandemic and apocalypse enthusiast. And I'm always thinking about the end of the world. And for the last nine years I have taught classes 
dealing with disaster response and design. So I think about this day and night. Any others? Yeah, I, I think I've got one that's pretty relevant here to the discussion. So circa 2008, I bought a house in the Fishtown neighborhood in Philadelphia, which looked like it had already endured a zombie apocalypse. It was boarded up windows, boarded up doors, graffitied inside, copper pipes stolen out, holes in all the floors. And I spent two years basically tearing it down and rebuilding it myself. So I feel like if we're going to want carpentry and plumbing and actual hands-on handiwork to keep ourselves sheltered and safe, aside from all the theoretical considerations we've all raised, I feel like the, the actual practice of doing it, again, in a place that basically looked like zombies had been chilling there for a couple of years is is relatively useful is everything redesigned with mathematical principles at their at their basis oh you know it i imagine that somehow the fibonacci sequences worked its way into the design of your 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 home it's all shells (laughs) it's just made of shells yeah the neighbors weren't too keen on the pentagon shape that i built but yeah outstanding (laughs) all right i'll go so, yeah, the first time I thought this through, I was thinking that offering yoga classes, but then Raj didn't think that was a great idea. So I'm going to revise that to, um, I, I, I looked at, I looked up some like top 10 skills in the zombie apocalypse, what you should, what you ought to do. And I actually found I did have a skill on one of them, which was knowing how to sail, turns out is one of the top 10 skills. And when I was in grad school, I, I lived on a sailboat and uh, learned how to sail it through PE courses, actually. And uh, also uh, replaced everything, carpentry, plumbing, electric, uh, top to bottom. So I guess I'll offer a practical skill against my own better judgment. And I'll also note that I do believe I was the only one not to speak lowly about the person who went ahead of me. And I just want to say that's the kind of thing that comes with my, with my discipline and the way that we uh, approach other people and their ideas. So we're very welcoming and appreciative of others. Well, my, my special skill is uh, I live with three cats. And since these cats were kittens, I have lived with the single-minded mission of training them to serve me in the event of the zombie apocalypse. So they are trained to sense, they are trained to attack upon command, and they are trained to obey my every request for survival. And I think that bringing you so if you bring me you're not just getting me and all the engineering you're getting also my trio of zombie killing cats i would imagine as the electrical and computer engineer that you would just have an implant that could do that well the cats have the implants oh right there we go yes (laughs) what would be the command for cats like when would they know like what is their secret word oh it it, it's just attack right oh okay yeah keep it simple to the point yeah I don't want to confuse them. They're actually right here next to me. So I mean, they, they probably are concerned that they heard the word just now. And we're like, oh, no, they're coming. <laughs> Is it go time? <laughs> we never saw Steven again. <laughs> um, well, I have a couple of questions here. I'll also welcome if students would like to start putting into the chat function any questions they would like to ask of our panelists. Uh, we will be happy to field those and, and pitch them out to them. But I'm curious, and this is sort of begged by what, what Josh said here, is I, I wonder for you all, what do you consider to be the biggest, the bigger threat during the zombie apocalypse? Is it the zombies themselves or is it other people? Other people. 
Are we supposed to elaborate for just? You're more than welcome to, but it, uh, that's felt pretty definitive too. <laughs> oh, definitely other people. I mean, as a pandemic enthusiast, I've read a lot of books and watched a lot of movies. And I think that if you think about the futuring of humanity, you have to worry about this idea of competition and then the lack of ethics um, that's going to be perpetuated when people start to think about their own survival. Um, so I think we're going to end up with a lot of selfish people um, winning out and replanting um, society unless we have people like Josh. Not to convince you that Josh should win. I'm just saying you're going to have to have a Josh on your team. Otherwise, humanity is doomed. I, I want to give other folks an opportunity to answer that question, but Raja, while we have you on the line here, one question did come in here, and I think it's an interesting insight. Uh, the, this individual says, uh, in your list of supplies, you said food, tools, shelter, and donuts, implying that donuts aren't a food. Oh, no. Donuts are their own special category, <laughs> um, just so we're clear. And the donuts that we're thinking about can be donuts of any variety, donuts of survival. For instance, if you think about a life preserver, it's a donut, right? It will survive, you'll be able to survive if you fall off the sailboat. Um, so there's that. Also, donuts, yes, they are edible, but they are in a category into themselves. I don't know if you've noticed that I also have a donut hat here, as well as a can of reconstitutable donuts, as well as donut making equipment downstairs, which I will be bringing in my backpack when I come to join your team as a member of the zombie apocalypse. So don't worry, there will always be donuts and nutritious food as well. Do you really have a donut making machine? Yes. That's amazing. Time <laughs> to make the donuts. Uh, so what about others? Bigger threat, humans or zombies? I mean, 2020 has made it quite clear that we are the biggest threat to ourselves, right? So I, I don't, I feel like that's my evidence if, if you need. Point, point well taken. <laughs> you showed your work in the answer. So I, I'll take a crack at it too. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm going to say it's people, but it's not the people in the way that you think it's people. It's yourself. Ooh, the enemy within. So, so I, I, was, I was reading articles about this. There's an interesting article in The Atlantic by Michael Vlahos. Uh, he's got, he writes a quote. He says, pondering the, the, so just the act of what we're doing right here is what he's talking about. He's the act of thinking about uh, zombie apocalypse. So pondering the zombie apocalypse is a form of shared emotional preparation, a collective therapy for facing bad things to come, which is, which is basically what you were saying, Kevin. But when you think about like what exactly are we preparing ourselves for, why, why do that, right? Then it, I would say that because we're actually less worried about the actual surviving of it and we're more worried in this moment about being able to brace our spirits or ourselves, our ability to cope with stuff so that we could survive it with that intact and not in shambles. So that, uh, that basically we can once again, you know, try to sort of go beyond our own, our own container. I feel, Kevin, the way you frame the question is a bit of a false dichotomy. You know, why would it be all humans versus all zombies? I mean, there's gonna be a spectrum of dangerousness on the part of the zombies, just like there's going to be a spectrum of danger to the humans on the part of the human survivors. So uh, I don't think you can answer this question without recognizing the the presumed heterogeneity of interest and aggressiveness of the zombie population. What I, what I hear maybe being subtly implied there is that maybe the zombies will also be trainable, much like your cats. <laughs> well, 
Some of them. You know, maybe maybe the zombies are having a Zoom like this right now, and they're asking, like, how are we going to deal with, with these humans, right? Yeah. So. And this is addressed in the quintessential text, Shaun of the Dead, right? As a, as a spoiler, right? Of being able to maintain a relationship, although one that is highly managed, but still not impossible to develop. And that's why I'm like Randy from Scream. In this scenario, I would just say like, hey, remember that movie? This is the model for how it is, which is not helpful in any regard. Don't you know the rules? What rules? You don't... There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. I also like that inversion. That's also sort of like um, I Am Legend, right? Is that the, the whole idea behind I Am Legend is that the, the zombies have sort of like populated Earth and the, the legend is about the zombie killer. The zombie hunter is sort of like their, their boogeyman, their bad guy. I can, I can fix this! I can save everybody! I can fix this! I like that idea that they're just having an equals <laughs> at zombie university. They're having a discussion about the disciplines that they represent and how they're going to defend themselves against us evil humans. <laughs> uh, let me throw another question out there. And again, if folks would like to add any uh, more in the chat, you're more than welcome to. Again, thinking about strategy, what would be your, your go-to? Would you want to hole up somewhere and stay you know, sort of bunkered down? Or do you think it's more important to stay mobile? Stay on the go. So I already played my hand. I was going to hole up in the in the in the penitentiary. No, because I feel like when the zombies run out of food and fuel, like outside of wherever you're holed up, they're going to eventually get to the point where they're going to suffocate you and cut off all access to mobility. And so, even if you were in, say, a fortress like that, all your ventilation would probably cut up because you would have zombies pushing their way through the grates and holes. And so eventually they would either get to you or you would starve or suffocate. So I think it's better to stay on the go and stay ahead of them. So you really have to figure out the best way to be in an armored transport so that you can get away faster, which again, a designer can help you with if you need that. <laughs> I'd like to offer the um, uh, Raja to have access to the um, super powerful vehicle I showed earlier in my slide if she's willing to share some of her mobile donut making technology with me that could work i could do that any thoughts from either josh or dimitri i've also got another question here in the in the chat but i want to give you a chance if you uh have a preference between mobility or staying stationary and bunkering down well i would certainly stay on the go and that that was part of my my original vision but it's going to be an ugly on the go well here's a question is there any i think there's maybe one romero film where they can go into water you have sailboat technology. It seems like we could live on the boat for the majority of the time if zombies can't, and then just do these like mad dashes to land. But I can't think of any models where like, like I can't think of any models where zombies can do the water except for one. But if that's like a mythology, that's actually pretty, that's actually pretty cool. I would agree. That's why I would be a good person to bring along. <laughs> <laughs> so is Waterworld the new model? That is, I mean, isn't that the dream at this point? I mean, everybody gave that movie a lot of guff, but it's looking pretty nice about now. Gills. Mutation! Yeah, that's what I'm going with. I'm going with Melinda's Waterworld vision of staying safe, definitely. 
Uh, so we have a question in the chat. Um, what would each panelist do if one of their teammates got infected? That's a tough ask. So I guess if you were Dimitri, you would just off them because again, as he said, he's unemotional and very pragmatic and all about reason. So yeah. goodbye, friend. Later. Whereas I am a very empathetic uh, team member. And so I would think about ways to save or to solve that problem to hopefully prevent the infection from spreading and use that as a model to also help other people in case they are infected. And I would add that to my first aid kit, which I have in my backpack. Dimitri, you in agree with that agreement with that assessment? Oh yeah, definitely. Okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a numbers game. Josh or Steve, what would you do if you had a teammate who got infected? Well, I, I presented earlier that my colleagues from the discipline of chemical and biological engineering are, are trained in biological systems and would have no problem whatsoever severing that arm that got infected just to kind of uh, uh, protect that person at, at a slight cost of the loss of one of their limbs. Okay, well, uh, along those lines, I think I would just heal that person and then that person would be okay. And then I think we would all just keep walking again. <laughs> <laughs> bada boom, bada bang, yeah. there you go. Duh. <laughs> Here's Dimitri killing everybody at the, like a slight sniff sniffle. All you got to do is cure the person. Don't you feel foolish? Occam's razor. <laughs> I think. I don't know if I used that right there. Uh, here's another question from the audience. Uh, would you be more interested in maintaining a small group or would you want to try to start building a community? Definitely a small group. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> Well, like evolutionarily, that's like we're wired to interact in groups of like 30, 40, right? Once you hit a critical threshold, then we get 2020. You know what I mean? But if you had a community, you could build, rebuild an economy, in which case people feel productive and feel like they have a need within society other than just surviving. So I really do think you have to reinvigorate that economic engine through the sale of goods. So that's why a community, you have a critical mass who could actually reestablish that, even if the community is distributed and there was a yeah, You're thinking like way down the road. I like this sort of like 30 year plan. Yeah. I mean, some of us are being idealistic and some of us are being pragmatic. You know what I mean? Can I ask a follow up to Raja? Like, how do you build a community that's in an economy when you're also like running? So here's the thing, I guess you have to rely on different skill sets, right? Because you have people that are able to sort of heal, you have people who are able to teach, like there's some parts of the repair clothing, to make clothing, to help with weapons repair, um, to help repair vehicles, etc. But if you're on the run and you run across another group and they need a skill within your group, there could be some trading of skill sets and things. And it's hard to do that. You're just redefining economy all sorts of different kinds of economies, if you can imagine them. I'm also imagining the scene in Forrest Gump where he's running and just collecting people. And then there's just a mass of people running. And I feel like this has now become the community and society is just constantly mobile and doing all of these things as they're moving. Anyway, like I was saying, I had a lot of company. My mom always said, you got to put the past behind you before you can move on. And I think that's what my running was all about. But then he stops at the ocean and is like, bye, I'm done. But not if he's got Josh with him, then they're hopping on the boat. <laughs> I assume that it, the option was five or seven people moving 
like in Walking Dead versus, you know, it could be 20 or 30 people trying to, you know, rebuild uh, the hilltop or something. And uh, so I would imagine in that case, if you find, I mean, you know, the trick would be like Roger was talking about earlier, how do you, you'd have to find a place that you felt was doable. It wasn't just going to get mobbed. So if you found an island, we took our sailboat, we went, we found an island, and then we brought some people to it and we could have food. And then I think the logical conclusion is absolutely to try to start to rebuild society. But I would imagine 30 would be that. It would be begin. That would be how you'd begin. You wouldn't have to be begin with like 500 or 2,000 or something like that. But I can't. I definitely can't imagine with being on the move with more than seven or eight people. Just leave him. Oh, I see him. Leave him. Leave him. Dog, help us. Well, I see that we're starting to wind down on time here, but I want to give you all one, you know, one parting shot. If there are any last words of wisdom or last things that you want to reinforce to make your case, uh, I would open up a poll to have people vote, but I actually don't think I have that functionality here. So we're just going to have to have to imagine who made the, the, the best case. And honestly, I don't want to pitch you all against each other. I, I like you all too much. Again, I'm playing the diplomat, but I would like to give you one last chance here to make a, a final statement or final claim for your, your cause. Or maybe we've we've set our piece. <laughs> Melinda, I'm going to turn the tables on you, and I'm going to ask you if you had to make your if you had to make your case to be part of the zombie survival team. I am very good at lifting things and carrying them from one place to another. Uh, I come from a very hearty stock of people, um, so I feel like that's a, a that's a, a card I can play. I'm very uh, obedient, so I would listen to every one of you and say thank you for the direction. I'm from Western Pennsylvania, so I feel like that, um, you know, that history of zombies kind of helps lend itself. I can provide a framework. Uh, as a cultural studies scholar, though, what is interesting is that I, I just resented the competition in general, and I was like, I feel like we can all work together. I don't understand, like, we're all about community, and we're all about, like, getting a pod together in one, two, three, four, five. I mean, I don't understand the problem, folks. So I feel like with me, like gen genuinely, it would be about like finding the ways to get these disciplines to like really like, I mean, I don't think we would have much work in this crowd. I feel like everybody kind of knows how they could work together, but finding those ways of building something together as like a collective and as a group. So I think my ability is to kind of exist in this liminal space where I can kind of see the potential for all these like, all these interactions and like, get the conversation going and be like, hey, you know what's pretty cool? Donuts. You know who's got donuts? Raja. Like, can she come into the armored vehicle with us? That'd be pretty cool. Melinda, you, you are like the foil to me, as Steve said in the chat. I do continue to insist to pit everybody against each other. I'm all about that competition. I'm all about that competition. Political scientist, man, just getting everybody to fight. That's right. We could all build something really cool together. And nah. Uh, in a world of limited resources, we've got to have some competition to figure out who's got to be part of that, that final team. Well, I'm of no use in this model, which is why I'm like, we should work together. This would be really helpful for me. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Stop it. You're acting like a child. Look, they're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. 
All right. I want to thank my colleagues and our, our distinguished panelists and our colleagues with uh, Pop the Question uh, for helping to host this. And thank you all uh, who joined us uh, to learn a little bit more about the Honors College, to learn a little bit more about Drexel. I hope you enjoyed this session. Certainly, if you came away having questions, wanting to learn more, please do feel free to reach out to us and we'd be happy to, to answer any questions or you know, even set up a time to chat if you wanna learn a little bit more about some of our, our offerings. So with that, I will bring this to a close and just uh, stay safe out there and uh, we hope to hear from you. So thanks everyone. Thanks everybody. Bye. Pop the Question was researched and hosted by Dr. Melinda Lewis. Our theme music and episodes are produced by Brian Cantoric with additional audio production by Noah Levine. All of this was done under the directorship of Erica Levy-Zellinger, the deanship of Dr. Paula Morans-Cohen, and the Pannoni Honors College at Drexel University. I know it's important. I do. I honestly do. But we talking about practice, man. What are we talking about? Practice? We talking about practice, man.